Alrighty folks, and welcome to episode one of The Archives Are Incomplete. Today we're talking about Dawn of the Jedi Into the Void by Tim Levin. Pardon pronunciation for every character, every planet, etc., etc., from this book forward. I've only read these books, I've not heard them, so when I mangle the pronunciation, that's my fault, but it's what I've got. In any case... This book is the first book in the chronological order of the Star Wars novels. It is set roughly 25,000 years before the Battle of Yavin and 20,000 years before literally any other story that we're going to be getting to. There's a lot to cover in here. The plot is split into two different stories, now and flashbacks. I want to talk about how the galaxy and the Tython system in particular have changed over time. Some Jedi philosophy, some Sith philosophy, and some connections to other bits of lore here and there. So, we're going to dive into it. The back of the book reads, At the feet of the masters of the ancient Jedi Order, Lannery Brock learned the mysteries and methods of the Force, but its power eluded her brother, and his bitter shunning of the Jedi ended in tragedy. Now, after years of solitary life as a ranger keeping order in the galaxy, Lannery has been urgently summoned by the Jedi Council. A fanatical cult leader obsessed with traveling beyond known space is bent on opening a cosmic gateway using dreaded dark matter, risking a cataclysm that will consume an entire star system. The only thing more shocking to Lannery than the specter of galactic annihilation is being tasked by her masters with preventing it. But a staggering revelation soon makes clear why she was chosen. The brilliant, dangerous madman she must track down and stop at any cost is the brother whose death she has long grieved, and whose life she must now fear. So, should you read this book? As previously mentioned, it's set 25,793 years before the Battle of Yavin. It's set roughly 20,000 years before the Lost Tribe of Sith, 22,000 years before Darth Bane and the other Old Republic stories. It's so far out there that it feels very disconnected from the rest of the stories. The Jedi are still the Jedi, J-E apostrophe D-A-I-I. The Sith don't exist except as a species. The light side, dark side dichotomy doesn't exist. Um, it's based on balance and two moons, Ashla and Bogan. Um, the writing of the book is on the lower boundary of fine for me. Like, it's not bad. It's just not particularly good. It feels like the publisher went to Tim and was like, hey, we need you to write this spin-off tie-in to our comics. Can you tell us a story? It's not part of a larger story other than the comics. It doesn't really tie into any of the novels. Um, any other video games that I'm aware of. The philosophy that it's exploring is different than pretty much anything you're going to get until the New Jedi Order, Legacy of the Force, and Fate of the Jedi. Um, because they talk about balance as opposed to light versus dark. Um, I would only recommend reading this if you are either very, very interested in the history of the Jedi and the Sith, or if you're here to read all 147 books in order, or not in order. It's definitely skippable. 
which is a weird place to be starting, but hey, we're going in chronological order, so that's how we're starting. Section 1. We're going to talk about the plot. As I mentioned, there are two main stories being told. Our A plot is following Lannery Brock, a human female Jedi Ranger, going to stop her brother, Dalian Brock, from activating the Hypergate and destroying reality. This is a mild exaggeration, but they talk about it like everything he's doing is the end of the world. The B plot is the story of Lannery and Dalian's great journey. Uh, part of the apprenticeship of Jedi Rangers, where they travel across the planet of Tython, learning and exploring and becoming in tune with the Force. It follows Lannery's rise as a conceited and condescending Jedi, and Dalian's fall from grace and eventual quote-unquote death. Following the plot, a plot, the first one, uh, the destruction of everything as I've titled it, Almost immediately off the bat, we are told exactly what to expect over the course of the book. Lannery is told by the Council of Masters on Tython that her brother has lost his balance and that he's going to be opening a hypergate, traveling beyond the known space, which is just this one star system, and potentially, if he screws things up, or maybe if things go right, bringing Cataclysm, an apocalypse, destroying the system. It's weird to me that they acknowledge that they came from other star systems and are now locking themselves to just the Tython system. It feels very much like they're falling into the trap that Jedi do later on, where they're like, we've been told to be here, we've been told to do this, tradition says so, and so it is, without actually questioning it or examining it. There are a lot of differences between the Jedi of the past and the Jedi of the present day, um... The philosophies ingrained in the Jedi are not apparent in this book. When Lannery is told that Dalian has lost his balance, they do mean, in theory, a balance between light and dark, of heeding the Force and your emotions and processing and evaluating. One of the chapter headers is the quote, I am the mystery of darkness in balance with chaos and harmony. Another one is, the Force is neither light nor dark, master nor slave but a balance between extremes. I'm going to delve into that a little bit more detail later on, but it's important to recognize that they aren't pursuing Dalian because they believe he's fallen to the dark side, but because he's strayed from this middle path. He's part of a stargazer cult, people who look outside of the system. And activating this hypergate goes against the tradition of the Jedi and is something that they cannot accept. It's something that they aren't ready to process or handle. And it makes me really frustrated because the Jedi are just like, yep, this is a problem because we've been told it's a problem. They, there's no examination of it. Lannery just accepts that leaving the system is bad. And it's so wildly frustrating for me that the Jedi haven't changed in 25,000 years. Anyways, Lannery accepts the mission and heads to another planet... Calamar. It's the major planet for non-Force users in the system. The Tytho system, as a tangent, has 15 settled planets and moons, which is an abnormally large number. Uh, I think that most other systems within the Star Wars galaxy have between 2 and 5 inhabitable planets or moons. Uh, 15 is absolutely unheard of. When she lands at Calamar, Lannery exhibits arrogance that is 
part of her character. Uh, she assumes folks are excited to see her because she's landing in a Jedi ship and she's carrying a Jedi sword and she must be very famous and important. At some point she gets into an altercation with the locals and gets thrown in jail and she's just like, oh, I could just walk through their force field and disable the power system and I'd just be able to walk out of jail and de defeat all their guards. And it's possible that it's true, it's possible, but she is so wildly cocky and arrogant and at this point in the story we've seen nothing to support that arrogance, which frustrates me a little bit. In any case, she finds and talks with Tresana, a Twi'lek with three Leku, the brain tails, or for a non-technical term, the head tentacles. He's a ex-rogue type kind of guy with various connections. Um, he's been recommended to her by Jedi Master Dam Powell, her instructor in various arts and a member of the council. He's been genetically modified, so she can't read his minds or thoughts, and is impressed by that. They follow a lead on the Stargazers and go to talk with a woman named Kara. They go and ask her questions, follow breadcrumbs. The story is very much linear. They get a clue, they follow the hint, they go to the next place where they get a clue. There's not a lot of red herrings, there's not a lot of distraction, it's just very linear. Now, when they talk with Kara, Lannery begins by threatening her. Being like, I'm a Jedi, you can't tell me what to do, and I can tell you what to do, so you better give me the information I want. After getting that information, she then shoots Kara with a stun gun, breaks into her hidden safe, steals a book, and breaks out a window. At some point later, it's revealed that Kara notified other stargazers that they were on the way, other cultists, and Lannery is shocked that Kara did not keep their confidence. She's shocked that Kara was like, yeah, the people who broke into my house shot me and stole from me. I don't like them. Because Lannery believes that the Jedi are all important and that they have rank and authority that people should respect the title, not the individual. Now, as a tangent, at one point in the conversation after Tresana and Lannery leave Kara's apartment, Tresana says he's only working with Lannery because he doesn't have a choice. Lannery says, you always have a choice in the most condescending way possible. And it's, I think, important to recognize that she comes from a life of privilege. She comes from the Jedi Temple with loving parents and the resources that she wants and needs. And so she can always choose to go a different direction because her direction and choices have never been opposed. Whereas her brother, had, and we'll get into this a little bit later on, has always been opposed. And Tresana was born to a life of lower quality. The Yes, he does have a choice, but saying no gets him killed or enslaved by Dan Powell. And so he kind of has to say yes. However, this does bring up a philosophy that I apply to video games. and I, It doesn't have anything to do with the book. But in a video game, whenever you die or lose, or in a, any other game really, you lose or fail because of something you did. There is always a way to not die. And now sometimes you'd be like, no, I just got randomly one-shot by the boss. Like, there was no way. Well... If you weren't standing close to the giant axe, you probably wouldn't have gotten one shot. And 
yeah, there's some BS deaths, and you're like, oh my god, I shouldn't have died there, that was just random. But you always have a choice. You could have simply chosen to not engage the boss. You could have chosen to not fight that battle. And it might mean that you don't play that game anymore because the boss is required for progression. But you do have an out to not dying. However, that doesn't always mean that it's the best choice to progress in some games. You need to fight the boss. And if you always die when fighting this boss because you don't have the skill or the gear yet... It's a crummy choice, but it's better than leaving the game if your goal is to complete the game. Um, and I think Lannery sees life as a game where you can take a very dangerous hit and keep on going because she's supported by the Force in the temple. In any case, the clues that they get from Kara lead them to head towards Nox, um, another planet that has a caustic atmosphere, has a bunch of domed cities... As she arrives, she sees some scouts, and Nox has a history with the Jedi. They hate them, to be more direct. And so, to prevent a war, because she is flying a Jedi airship, shoots down these scouts with no communication. They, I can't remember if they even open communications with her, but she certainly does not respond to them. Her first interaction with them is shooting them. I think that... This was supposed to demonstrate that she is balanced between Ashla and Bogan, between light and dark, that she can kill when she needs to but prefers not to. But she comes across as inconsistent because she goes from one extreme to the other. She decries other people who kill and then, on the other hand, kills almost flippantly without pondering or considering the consequences. They get a couple more breadcrumbs. They find Dalian on Nox. Uh, she corners him, he monologues and runs, blows her up, and leaves her to die. Now, this is not the first time she's run into a trap and been blown up due to overconfidence. On Calamar, one of the first things she does is chase after somebody who blows themselves up with a suicide bomb, and she gets hit with the blast. And she's able to protect herself with the force shield, but it's not the first time this has happened. Dalian heads to another planet called Sunspot, it might be a moon, uh, for more MacGuffin chasing. She follows, runs into a trap again, gets shot and left for dead again. And at this point it feels like bad writing because Dalian then heads to Tython, where the Hypergate is. She follows and runs into, you guessed it, a trap again. From there she has her final encounter with Dalian and the story ends. Now, Something interesting to me is that in this final chase on Tython going into the city, uh, or the ruins of the city, Tresana, who has been helping her out, um, and risked his life back on Sunspot going into the mines to rescue her when she had been shot, he is shot in one of the ambushes, and she goes on without pausing, thinking, he would understand being left to die. This is the same guy who, like, three days earlier said... The only reason I'm helping you is because otherwise I will be enslaved or killed. He doesn't, he's not invested in this in the same way that she is. He doesn't care if people leave the system like the Jedi do. This, again, is the Jedi projecting their thoughts and feelings. And, oh my god, I hate it. God, I hate the Jedi and the Jedi and their hypocrisy and their holier-than-thou attitude. This is... 
going to be something you're going to hear from me a lot if you continue to listen to this show. Finally, uh, Dalian says as he's dying or in his final monologue that he heard the stars. To me, this sounds a lot like the Force was speaking to him in a way that others didn't recognize. Um, why was why was he chasing the stars? Like, if he was hearing the stars, if he was heeding the Force and not acting the way other people wanted him to, it's still possible that he was doing what they wanted him to. He was trying. It feels like another situation where the Jedi or the Jedi created their enemy. They say that the threat was uncertain. There was no guarantee that the Hypergate that Dalian was supposedly using even existed, and if it did, would it do anything? Would he be able to leave the system? Would it explode? No guarantees. No, it was just theory, and they were like, he's doing something that doesn't fit with our tradition and our ways, and so we're gonna just task his sister to hunt him down and kill him. And I did not think he was a particularly likable antagonist, but he was not dislikable. Lannery was certainly not likable, and I did dislike her a lot because she felt just a little too harsh. She didn't put consideration into her actions. Unlike other villainous or gray morality characters, Darth Bane being very dark aligned, but putting in consideration into his kills and his apprentices also putting in consideration into their actions whereas Lannery just seems to be acting on instinct without even considering what might happen. In any case, the B-plot is the great journey of Lannery and Dalian Brock. All apprentices, all Jedi trainees, are to go on a great journey, going to all nine major temples on Tython, learning fighting, healing, arts, sciences, balance, meditation. It's a veritable training model. It's just boop, 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 learn this, learn that, etc, etc. There's some interesting stuff. A lot of it talks about the separation of Lannery and Dalian. They were very close as young children, and this great journey solidifies the split, the sundering between the two of them, the cleaving of their relationship. Lannery becomes more and more ingrained with the Force, and Dalian pulls himself further and further away and gets angrier and angrier when the Force is for lack of a better term, forced upon him without his consent. Several times in the journey, Lannery and Dalian are set upon by beasts and they have to defend themselves. Most of the time, Lannery uses the Force, either blasting them or shoving them away, tripping them, that sort of thing, and Dalian uses a blaster. Now, both of them are effective most of the time, but Lannery is aggressively effective. In the first encounter they have when they're attacked, Lannery comments or thinks about the sound of bones breaking with her force push, which is a degree of power that we don't see in the movies or later books. Um, Now, to be fair, Tython is a planet that is imbued heavily with the force, and so it's very possible, in fact, quite probable, that force powers there are amplified. This is supported by the idea that uh, Master Terke or Terse at the temple teaching four skills says telepathy is fundamental. Um, the Jedi of this time, 25,000 years before everything else, are able to communicate wholly through telepathy. The silent communication. They can have conversations without opening their mouths. It's not merely reading surface thoughts or projecting an emotion, but 
actually having a literal conversation. The journey continues, and Dalian is constantly getting pushed away for not accepting his family's religion. It's very clear that he, to me at least, he's trying for them to a point. Um, but he eventually gets to a point where he decides enough is enough, and they're not going to listen to his wants or needs. If they had relented, maybe he wouldn't have been pushed away so hard. He has one success in the temple where they were learning to fight. He lands a hit during unarmed combat training with their instructor. Lannery immediately shuts him down when he's like, Yes, I did it! By saying, Mmm, I'm pretty sure the trainer just let you get that hit in to boost your confidence so that you'd be more likely to use the Force like you should be because the Force is glorious and wonderful and everything great and you're terrible for not embracing it, my brother. And... Oh my god. Like, no wonder he turns away from them. There are plenty of times when they have a conversation or, or an argument, and he steps away from her. When she enters his mind to manipulate his dreams, or enters his mind to give him information, to futz with his reactions, he steps away, and Lannery reads it as an attack on her and her beliefs when all he's doing is trying to get some space so he can feel safe on himself. Eventually, later on in their journey, Lannery discovers Force Alchemy, which is creating and manipulating life, and is generally considered a dark side thing. However, she's balanced because she also meditates sometimes, and has positive feelings about her friends and family, and so it's an okay thing. I don't think it's an okay thing. Uh, but the story presents it as acceptable. I think that one of the things that bothers me so much about this is that rather than blending two extremes, she just flip-flops back and forth between one end and the other. She swaps from murder to healing to mind control to calm negotiation and never any middle ground. It's not that she's gray, it's that she's black and white. And that might be the point. It might be the point that she is a flawed character. I haven't read the comics, but it just feels so flawed as a story. Eventually, while Lannery is discovering alchemy, Dalian seeks the mysteries of Tython. He avoids the Jedi and eventually gets in an altercation where he's about to be arrested. He kills a Jedi, the one who's to arrest him, and flees. He vanishes towards the old city and tricks Lannery into believing he is dead. Um, this is where the Hypergate is, or theoretically is, and where he and her have their final confrontation. These two stories are intertwined, and they're supposed to be in a way that it feels like you get an understanding of why Lannery is acting the way she is, or why Dalian is acting the way he is, as they are acting in the modern day, as they're chasing each other across the system, or she's chasing him, rather. It doesn't succeed, in my opinion. I just finished reading the Broken Empire series by Mark Lawrence, which is developed in a very similar way, written in the past, four years in the past and in the present, following the story of Jorg, this prince. And there, every revelation from the flashback from the past was immediately relevant. It either explained something that just happened or explained a change in personality that was about to be revealed in the modern era. And this doesn't do that. It tries and just doesn't succeed. It does provide some development and some interesting structure to a pair of otherwise very linear stories, 
but in the A-plot, Lannery is following a very clear trail. She's never once given a false clue. It's just she has no trouble finding her sources. Everybody that she needs to talk to is there when she goes there the first time and gives her the answer almost immediately. There's no question. We've been told where she's going and where she's going to end up. We've been told who the villain is. And so there's no mystery to it. There's no questions that I need to have answered other than greater questions about the nature of Tython and the Thoyor who brought the species to Tython. But they're not questions addressed. They're not relevant to the narrative. They're world-building questions. In the B story, following the Great Journey, Lannery and Dalian are traveling from these one temple to the next, which is, again, a known thing. And we know that Dalian dies towards the end of the Great Journey, and we also know that he's not actually dead. There's no mystery at all in this. There's no... It feels like there's almost no tension, which is incredibly frustrating. Now, the narrative does end in with some mystery, with some questions. There's the question of, was this all a fake-out? Are there other stargazers in this cult? Was Dalian just a pawn? But it feels like a way to get folks to buy into the comics rather than actually enjoy the story in the world. It's disappointing that we start there as the first story in the series, but it does have an interesting thing in where it sets up differences in the world. In this system, as I mentioned, there are 15 inhabited planets and moons. Um, now, they've been brought here by the Tho-Yor, which are from my quick Google, um, and it's explained in the comics and not in the book, some sort of like force-sensitive spaceship communication meditation thing they brought a bunch of species here and just dropped them on tython and civilization grew from there the species include nogri wookie miraluka iktachi sith twi'lek cathar humans and many others the miraluka and red sith are nearly a hundred percent force sensitive iktachi and cathar have very high rates of force sensitivity and Ikachi, I believe, have basic precognitive abilities. Twi'lek and Nogri and Wookiee all have very spiritual cultures. Uh, it's interesting to me that all of the cultures chosen for Tython by the Thoyor are cultures that are relatively well attuned to the Force. There are no Gamorreans, there are no Huts, no Weequay, obviously no Yuzan Vong. Although they do mention at the first temple, the temple where they are trained in the use of the Force, the air purification system is a hybrid mechanical living thing, which reminds me of the Yuzan Vong um, and Zenoma Seacoat. Um, there's also no hyperspace travel, at least none that's common, none that's on ships that are pilotable. There is a hyperspace gate, but that is unused and maybe doesn't exist. There's no republic that we're aware of there's no galactic government there's wars between planets there are different governments on individual planets it's very much early expansion era before we get the unification of the huts control this sector of the galaxy the republic here the empire here the separatists here these are independent systems that sort of thing it's still the wild west of the galaxy with the plot out of the way, and with the small changes to the world, because we're in a relatively narrow scope of just one star system, 
let's talk about the force for a little bit it's presented very differently in this book than it is in every other book because it hasn't been explored and studied as much the jedi believe in ashla and bogan named after two of their moons now ashla is the light one and bogan is the dark but there isn't the light side and the dark side there is simply the force there's no sith there's no jedi just jedi they do say some become unbalanced and fall to the dark which raises the question of what do they say when somebody becomes unbalanced towards light do they say they're blinded by the light do they fall into light it to me is a more interesting story than falling to the dark side because that's something that we've done in a lot of places whereas there are very very few places where somebody going to the light side would be seen as a problem and i think that this would be a great place to explore the narrative of somebody who is blinded by the light who is too pure too stuck up too exacting uh, dalian definitely didn't fall to the light he started a war to cover his tracks but lannery is definitely also not light side uh, she kills someone indiscriminately she left behind a close ally believes others should not get in her way and believes that her power brings the right to do so i mentioned earlier a couple quotes i believe i misattributed them as chapter headers i believe they're actually just in the text i am the mystery of darkness in balance with chaos and harmony and i think that that's interesting because if we skip down to the jedi code there's the line there is no chaos there is harmony and so the jedi code jedi beliefs are they don't mesh with the Jedi Code. This is a very different philosophy. Similarly, the Force is neither light nor dark, master nor slave, but a balance between extremes. And modern Jedi of the Republic and the Old Republic even, they believe that they are followers of the Force. They wouldn't say that the Force is their master, but they wouldn't say that they are the master of the Force. They wouldn't say that the Force is a tool that they simply use. At the beginning of chapter two, there's a quote saying, find the balance between the light and dark facets. And then at chapter three, life is a challenge and facing that challenge is what makes good great. And I think it's really important and it's fascinating to see the exploration of gray Jedi, this balance, because it's not explored anywhere else, really. There's a little bit of exploration of it in the, towards the end of the Clone Wars. There are a couple of Jedi who question everything because of what they're doing with the war they're being warmongers they're warriors which is not what they've been trained for and they're feeling powerful powerful emotions and they're questioning everything they've been taught and they're tending more towards Kray. they're leaning away from the pure light of the jedi order but they're definitely not falling all the way to the dark side and there's more exploration of what it means to be a jedi where the lines are drawn during the new jedi order and the legacy of the force with the Yuuzhan Vong invasion, where Jedi again become warriors rather than peacekeepers. And I like that they explore the idea of Grey Jedi and this balanced force, but they really only explore it, or Tim really only explores it, in the headers to the chapters. Um, chapters 4, 5, 15, 16, 17 are quotes from Master Shalmar from his book or treatise, A Life in Balance. Starting with chapter 4, Never place all your reliance in the Force. It's always there, but that does not mean it can always be called upon. Each Jedi is his own person with his own talents. Learn to use them. Nurture them. 
If the force is the dream, you are the dreamer, and sometimes you have to wake up. Sometimes you are all you have. And I think it's important that Jedi and others are able to find balance with using the force and with not using the force. If you rely on it, uh, you are nothing without it. It reminds me of the Muralioth from The Legend of the First Empire by Michael J. Sullivan. They are powerful wizards who don't know how to live without magic. They can't even make a cup of tea or food without magic because they simply use their magic and powers to cause water to boil and to put the tea bag in it. They don't know how to start a fire. And Shalmar is cautioning the Jedi from falling into a similar trap where they just rely on the Force and do everything using just the Force. Now, pardon me as I flip to Chapter 5. Apologies. Earlier, when I said Chapter 5, I meant Chapter 8. A Jedi needs nothing but confidence and comfort in the Force. Clothes for warmth, a ship to travel in, food for energy, water to slake thirst, a sword to stab, a blaster to shoot. These are all luxuries. The Force is everything, and without it, we are nothing. It's interesting that, again, this is from Master Shalmar, A Life in Balance. He goes from saying, don't rely on the Force, to saying, we are nothing without the Force. And that reminds me of the quote from the Spider-Man movies in the MCU. If you're nothing without the suit, you shouldn't have it. If the Jedi are nothing without the Force, they probably shouldn't have it. Uh, this codependency on the Force, or not even codependency, because the Force doesn't depend on them. This dependency is a serious flaw. And Lannery, I believe, exemplifies the flaws and the hypocrisy in this philosophy. She relies on the Force relentlessly, and it's not enough because she becomes overconfident. She's able to handle all of the small challenges in her life by using the Force to ignore them. And so when a significant challenge comes along that the Force can't handle, she doesn't have any skills to overcome it. Jumping forward to chapter 15, Jedi must know their limits. There are places we should not go, things we should not do, powers we should not seek. The Force has an incredible strength, but a Jedi's true strength is in knowing when to use it and when not. And this ties into my previous point, Lannery definitely doesn't understand. She uses the Force for small things. She's the kind of person who would open up a door with the Force or scratch her back with the Force. Now, I'm not saying I wouldn't grab the remote if I had Force powers. I absolutely would. But I'm also not professing to be a superior specimen and a Jedi who has the ability to dictate authority over people and a great warrior. Now, tying into the balance of light and dark... The lead in chapter 16 reads, A Jedi needs light and darkness, shadow and illumination, because without the two, there can be no balance. Veer to Bogan, and Ashla feels too constraining. Too pure, edge toward Ashla, and Bogan becomes a monstrous myth. A Jedi without balance between both is no Jedi at all. He or she is simply lost. And this is interesting to me, because while it doesn't really have a lot of of implications in this book itself, it does have something I, I read into it with regards to the prequel series with the fall of the Jedi and the Republic. The Jedi, or the Jedi of Yoda's time and Mace Windu, they see the dark side as a myth. They make it more than it is, and at the same time, less than it is. They don't believe that the Sith could exist and could overpower them even if they did. 
And on the other hand, they say the Sith are the most dangerous thing in the galaxy. And they can't have it both ways. Um, and yet they do. They are unbalanced in this way. They have it as their greatest enemy, but also irrelevant. Finally, uh, chapter 17 is the last quote from Master Shalimar. Immersion in the dark side of the Force can seem stronger, more freeing, more triumphant than existing within balance, but only from the outside. Do not be tempted. Those who are swallowed by the darkness lose not only balance and control, they lose their souls. Now, this is judgy. This is a dangerous myth to me. It's, again, highlighting the hypocrisy of the Jedi and the Jedi. Master Shalmar, in the previous segment we just read, said that you need to have balance. You need to have some feed to the dark. You need to accept some of that emotion into you. And yet in the very next passage, he says, but if you do, you'll lose your soul. And that, to me, sounds like a dangerous myth. Finally, I want to pull up um, a couple sections where we have language that is similar to both the Jedi Code and the Sith Code. The header for Chapter 9, which is said by Despot Queen Hadia, who was theoretically an authoritarian tyrant, but in reality possibly just somebody who stood up to the Jedi, she says, The Jedi say, there is no ignorance, there is knowledge, which is exactly a quote from the Jedi Code. She continues, But they are ignorant of your lives, your struggles, and their superiority blinds them. They say, there is no fear, there is power. Yet in their power they are smug, and I will make them fear me. Now, the line, there is no fear, there is power, is essentially the whole philosophy of the Sith Code. Um, through passion, you gain strength. Through strength, power. It's converting that passion, that fear, that strong emotion into strength. Uh, it's a Sith belief at core. There's another line that says, the Force gives you power, and power breeds confidence. This is in my opinion, a Sith belief at core, but strives towards Jedi desire. The Jedi desire confidence and comfort in oneself. And it's interesting to see these lines said 25,000 years previously. Now, of course, this is constructed history. The author knew that knew the Jedi Code, knew the Sith Code, and was able to seed backwards this story. But it's still fun to see the history of it all. Um, in particular, there is no fear, there is power. It mirrors the philosophy of the Sith, but has the words of the Jedi. Finally, the phrase, may the force go with you, is used instead of may the force be with you. It's not a significant change, it's one two-letter word for another, but it gives the force a little bit more agency, more action as an entity. And I just find that fascinating. There's not a whole lot I can dig into that, to be honest, but it's just a little thing that I noticed and found neat. Finally, uh, I want to talk about Lannery Brock. I've been complaining about her a lot. Um, and one of the chapter headers, again, another quote, and I honestly think those are the best part of the book. I think if you just want to grab the book, skim through those, you get most of the story and you get the interesting philosophy. Um, but the chapter 10 header reads, Pride is a dangerous indulgence. As I mentioned earlier, Lannery is definitely overconfident in herself and the Force. It gets her into trouble on her great journey. Dal has to save her a couple times. Um, she always goes into encounters believing wholly that she'll be able to survive, um, but she doesn't always consider the consequences for others. 
On Calamar, she fights a spy assassin, and several innocents die because she was like, I'm going to flush this person out of hiding. I'm not going to bring them to some place where I can corner them or where they'll be isolated. She's just like, yep, middle of the city, let's start a fight. Later, she jumps out of a window in Kara's apartment after shooting her informant uh, and grabbing her ally and throwing him out of the window, forcing her to trust, forcing him to trust her. Um, on Knox and on Sunspot and on Tython, she walks into a trap. On Knox, a war starts because she does so. On Suns or on Tython, Tresana almost dies. She's not seeing the consequences of her actions at all. Now, there are many points where she believes the ends justify the means, but the threat isn't proven to be real. Yes, Dalian does exist, she finds that out, and he does intend to open up this hypergate, but he doesn't know if it's real. She doesn't know it's real. She doesn't know how it operates, and neither does he. It's all theoretical and speculative. Uh, she doesn't ever negotiate either. She just does what the, she thinks needs to be done without significant contemplation. She blinds a character's memory, just wipes his mind without compunction. She kills the scouts and is like, yep, I needed to do that to prevent a war. And the war starts anyways. Um, she believes in the superiority of the Force because it makes her life easy. If she has to question it, if she has to believe that non-Force sensitives are her equal, then perhaps the deaths she caused while helping the Wookiee Enclave, which is an event that she references, but it's outside the book, would have caused her to slow down. Maybe the deaths that she was implicit in part of might have caused her to slow down and consider things and maybe not rush into as many traps. She was surprised, as I mentioned earlier, when Kara, the person she threatened, attacked, robbed, and damaged her house, didn't continue to help the instant Lannery was away from her. Like, that... That's insane. And she constantly assumes that people will fawn over her because she's a Jedi Ranger. Um, she's just like, yep, people will see my ship and give me whatever I want. She's very arrogant and very cocky, and it gets her in trouble all of the time. And I think it, I do think it's supposed to demonstrate a complex character of both light and dark, but it doesn't read that way to me. She has the flaws of the modern Jedi in her staunch belief in her superior superiority, but also the worst of the Sith in that the ends justify the means. In any case, that about wraps it up. If you like this book, um, I think your best options are Lost Tribes of the Sith, Knight Errant, and the Darth Bane trilogy. They're all set in the history of the galaxy, and they explore the themes of the Jedi and the Sith, the light and the dark. If you enjoyed the story itself, there are many other stories that are linear, some with flashbacks. I can't remember them off the top of my head because I honestly don't think it's worth reading this just for the narrative. It's for the world building. In any case, uh, I was just on the Star Wars Universe podcast talking about the Darth Bane trilogy last week and the Republic Commando series this week in two different guest spots. I'll be getting to those books soon enough here. In fact, next week is The Lost Tribe of the Sith, just mentioned before, by John Jackson Miller, which is one of my favorites because of how it ties into other books that we'll get into much, much farther down the line. If you like this episode and want to hear more of my ramblings, please be sure to check that box to like, subscribe, favorite, or whatever it is your app calls it, and check back in next Thursday. 
You can contact me on Twitter at Jedi underscore Archive or email me at podcast at fatelfgames.com. I'm Jonah, and the archives are incomplete.